Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Latin roots from 1991's Steady Diet of Nothing is D.C. musician Bashla Andelson of Beauty Pill and Andalusian's fame. Welcome, Bashla. How are you doing? Thank you, Ian. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm well, too. You are... The third beauty pillar I've had on the show, and that's a record. We've had two people from the Caribbean, we've had two people from Q and Not You, but yeah, I think you guys are the official other band of this podcast, so congrats. Thank you. Well, it was fun listening to Chad's episode and Aaron's episode. Yeah, yeah, and also, uh, I was going to say, because it's cool to reconnect with you, we crossed paths several times in my Washington, D.C. music days, uh, I'm not actually sure if we ever really had a one-on-one conversation, but we were definitely, like, we played some of the same shows. I I remember our bands playing shows together. At the time, I believe you were in yes. Del Cielo with a friend of the show, Katie Otto, yes? Yeah, totally. And you, you're playing with Carol, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I was trying to remember exactly one of these occasions, but did we play that one rock and romp show together? I don't think that Del Cielo ever played Rock and Romp, if I am remembering okay. correctly. I remember when those shows were happening, but I don't think we ever did it. Okay. Yeah, just for listeners, it was like it was this cool thing where bands would play in like in somebody's backyard at really low volumes and people would bring their little kids and they'd all dance around. It was really fun. It sounded amazing. I, I think um I, I heard about it but never got a chance to play one or see one. Yeah. But it just actually occurred to me also that I am the fourth Beauty Pill guest because Ryan Nelson also used to be in Beauty Pill. Oh, yes. You got me on a technicality. Wow. Four. <laughs> that that record's never going to be surpassed. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's it's cool to reconnect with you. And uh, just reminds me of old times talking with people like you and, and Katie. Um, it seems like it's been ages um, since I was doing that whole thing. Yeah, that's that's one of the... One of the fun things about you asking me to be on this show is um, it kind of got me thinking back over everything and trying to remember, you know, how things went. And it's brought back a lot of nice memories. And it's kind of uh, also making me realize how much time has passed. Yeah, man. Well, um, I mean, to go back even a little further, you know, I usually uh, ask all my guests about their relationship with Fugazi as as a fan, as a uh, sometimes a uh, musical collaborator, whatever, Um, you actually worked at Discord and even lived at Discord House, right? That's true, yes. Do you want to tell me how that happened? Yeah, so, (laughs) yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, So I got into punk music in general, um, probably the way a lot of people who listen to this show did. Um, I just didn't really feel like I fit in at my high school and uh, in my hometown. And I was pretty desperate to find other people that were like-minded. And um, I actually went to this church camp. It was like a peace camp in Pennsylvania for a weekend. And I met a kid there who um, listened to punk. And I'd never heard of it before other than just seeing what you see in the movies where it's like a, you know, obnoxious guy with a boombox and a mohawk. <laughs> harassing someone or something yeah, like and, that and then spock gives him the old vulcan neck pinch and he's out that is exactly what i was thinking about <laughs> uh, but so this this kid made me a mixtape and it had monty python skits on one side of it and on the other side it had um like a bunch of punk bands including um the dead kennedys and at first i was like oh this music is so grating like i i couldn't listen to it. I, it just seemed unlistenable to me, but I really connected with the lyrics and, um, that kind of, as somebody who was in a rural conservative town, um, where I just didn't feel like I fit in at all. It was pretty exciting to me. So I just forced myself to listen to it over and over until I actually started liking the music. And then, um, that just kind of made me want to explore other stuff. And, um, the embarrassing thing was when I was trying to remember back to the first time that I actually heard Fugazi, I know a lot of people, I was listening to some other episodes, a lot of people have a moment where they're like, you know, this is it, this is the first time I heard a song, or this is the first time I went to a show, or whatever. I cannot, for the 
life of me remember what the first uh, song I heard was or where I even got my first, I, I think it was a cassette that I had. Um, but I know that at some point, I listened to Minor Threat. Minor Threat was one of the bands that I got into um, after hearing the Dead Kennedys. And um, I used to listen to them over and over and over again. And then I think there was like a kid at my school. It was a very small school. And there was like a kid in a grade older than me who um, who liked punk. And I think he was always talking about Fugazi. And um, I must have at some point either bought or been gifted a cassette. And I was trying to remember, I think it actually might have been Steady Diet of Nothing, because I know that was one of the early ones that I listened to. Um, and I, I don't remember. I don't have that moment where I'm like, yes, I heard that, you know, I heard the album and it was the best thing in my life. I just remember listening to it. Uh, and I don't even know if it was in, it would have been either late high school or early college. But um I do remember listening to several of those albums over and over again. I, I remember buying instrument at some point because I was trying to decide between two of their albums and the back, uh, you know, I was looking at the back of it and it had the song listings. And one of the songs was Turkish disco and I'm half Turkish. So I was like, it's a sign. I'm going to get this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I didn't know, I didn't know it was an actual instrument soundtrack i didn't know there was a movie called instrument i didn't know that it was uh mostly <laughs> instrumental <laughs> so is that kind of a bizarre listening experience then it was and i think the very first listen i was kind of disappointed i was like oh i should have gotten the other one and then after the second listen i was pretty hooked on it and it actually ended up being one of my favorites i think uh the skype connection isn't very good it's like it's kind of jerky can i can i try calling you back on your phone number perfect hey ian hey yeah so um you were just saying i think about um you know listening to the instrument soundtrack for the first time uh yeah i think that's where i cut you off oh yeah i was just saying it ended, actually ended up being one of my uh one of my favorite albums and i i listened to the episode that you did with the beatles podcast guys comparing i'm so tired and i'm so tired right <laughs> um and that was i'm so tired was one of my favorite fugazi songs i think like you guys were saying i think it's their second most played song on spotify and um i can i can see why because it's just kind of a timeless song it's this it's a real entrancing little melody isn't it it really is it just it, it, emotionally it hits me really like it, it's just really it's just beautiful so I kind of uh, I kind of love that song and and the whole album I really liked a lot. Yeah, it it really shows off the um the the versatility of some of those guys. I think we we've both been in bands and I I think we both know that you can feel a little bit constrained by what that band becomes. You're like, okay, this band is a certain thing and has a certain sound, um but they could really do a lot more and that's something that instrument soundtrack really hinted at. Mhm. Were you a Fugazi listener before you started uh, working at Discord then? Yeah, so I I probably got into them like a few years before, maybe like three or four years before I ended up. um, Well, so I went away to college and then I I went to school in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and really enjoyed (laughs) being away and the whole college experience and just being out of my small town. which is my small, like the town I grew up in was a pretty horrible, horrible experience. It was like, um, I was there from my school was sixth grade to 12th grade and it was super conservative and very, very, very racist and homophobic. And, um, I think that's kind of what got me into punk in the first place is just trying to seek out other people who were, who were like me and didn't have kind of a messed up beliefs. Like, for example, the school's baseball team was using a KKK symbol for a good luck charm and uh, credited wow. that as why they won the state championship. So oh my God. <laughs> it was it was pretty god awful. So I was very happy to go away to college and find other like minded people. Um, but then I really wanted to be playing music. I would go to a lot of shows and I had started learning uh, like I learned bass in high school just because it honestly seemed fun to be in a band and I was like I want to I want to do this too it wasn't like I was like oh I really love music or you know like I was like this looks socially fun I want to do it yeah (laughs) so so, uh so I had 
played in a couple of bands just like, you know, we did like one show at someone's parents' house or something like that. And um, and in Albuquerque, I was going to see a lot of shows, but I wasn't able to find anyone to play music with for some reason. And I visited uh, over the winter break, I visited a friend in Richmond at VCU and everybody there was in bands and I kept seeing like flyers that were like bass player wanted. So um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to transfer schools and see if I can start a band in Richmond. And I did transfer and it worked. Wow, <laughs> so, yes, nice. <laughs> so I met um, Katie Otto, who, as you said, was on the show and is a friend of yours and a dear friend of mine. And uh, my now good friend, Andrea Lisi, I met them and we started Del Cielo together. And I think it was maybe summer of 2002, we recorded our first full length record. And we did that with Chad Clark, who was working um, out of Inner Ear Studios. Um, I think his studio is called Silver Sonia, but it was it was uh, out of Inner Ear and really hit it off with Chad. We had some really great conversations and had some similar music taste. I remember talking with him a lot about the Beatles and um, and just kind of. Uh, politically, we were aligned in in a, in a lot of ways. We were all aligned, and a few months after we recorded, he um, had Ryan Nelson send me an email saying, "Hey, I've never met you, but my bandmate Chad has, and we're looking for a bass player." And he said that you seem pretty cool. Would you want to be in our band? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, yeah, because Chad had played me some of their stuff in the studio, and I really, really liked it. So I was pretty excited about that, and I happened to. Uh, to join right before they were going to put out an EP called You Are Right to Be Afraid on Discord. So um, I joined at an awesome time because I think it was pretty much recorded. I might have played like a little bit on it just so I could be on it. Um, And then they put it out and I got to meet Ian that way through. uh, He he just wanted to meet with a band before he put out our, uh, our EP. So I got to go to Discord House and sit at the table with him with some tea and have that whole experience. And uh, (laughs) I was pretty thrilled because I think I was telling you when you were emailing back and forth with me about being on the show, I had um, I had read this interview that he gave my friend Eric. uh, Eric Weiss did a zine called Rump Shaker and he interviewed Ian and his mom. And, uh, and I had read that interview, it was probably like 1999, I read it, and I just thought, this person seems like an amazing individual and uh, just such a down-to-earth person and somebody who would be in my friend group. Like, he just seemed like somebody that, you know, I would be friends with. And after, uh, after I met him, I was like, he's exactly like he was in the interview. That interview is thrilling. so charming. You sent it to me, and I, I very much thank you for it. I had never read that before. I will try to uh, put it up online somehow and make it available to our listeners. Um, if you check out the show notes, I'll find a way to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really cute. It's, the interviewer is just like sitting with Ian and his mom, and you, you hear some stuff about Ian that you probably have never heard in any other interviews, really, because of that. So it's cool. <laughs> So one of the things, like I said, I was like kind of desperate to find people that I connected with. And um, I've been vegetarian. I went vegetarian when I was like four years old, just because I found out that it was animals. And I was like, I don't want to be doing that. Um, and then I went vegan when I was like 17. And uh, I didn't even know that you pronounce it vegan because I, I didn't know anybody else who was vegetarian, let alone vegan. So I, I was going around saying vegan, but <laughs> 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 but. I went vegan and then I was so excited because I read his mom in that interview. Like he doesn't talk about it really because he kind of does his own thing. And it's like, doesn't try to um, really, I guess, like try to preach to people too much about it. But um, his mom said something about how the only thing that she has a problem with him with is that he's a vegan. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was like, because she has to cook vegan food at Sunday night dinners because now his siblings, most of them went vegan too. (laughs) So I was like, yes, not only does this guy (laughs) seem super cool, but I can also connect with him on this thing. Yeah. I'm I'm sure his mom didn't mind that other than it being just kind of logistically difficult. Right. Totally. (laughs) Which I can identify with. Like that would be hard, especially if you have different people in the family that have different diets and then trying to accommodate everybody. It would oh, yeah. be challenging. I, I have, but, I've dated people who like I'm vegetarian, but also I did, I dated someone who was just incredibly picky. You know, she would, she would like, yes. 
any restaurant, it would be like, she wanted chicken fingers. And I was like, ugh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't go there unless there's chicken fingers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of thing uh, can be a little bit of a drag, but it's like, yeah, yeah of course. Um, and that's that's something that I've heard, I've really heard from people about um, Ian and about Fugazi in general uh, is like it's it's very easy to be around them and they don't make it hard on you if you don't have the exact same lifestyle as them as far as you know drinking is another thing um right uh, we talked to uh nick pelicciotto their like touring sound guy in later years and he'd be like yeah you know i just i'd get a drink at dinner it was fine nobody gave me a hard time or anything about it um but um yeah and, and it's it's not something that it's not something that Ian ever seemed to put into the music, which does kind mm-hmm. of surprise me that he wouldn't even touch on the subject. But um, may- maybe the whole straight edge thing gave it put a sour taste in his mouth about <laughs> doing that sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. I actually listened to um, an interview with him where he was talking about his lyrics and how in Minor Threat, everything was pretty straightforward. Like he he just wrote straight up what he was thinking and kind of you know sending messages and then people took it so seriously and, and kind of um, took it in ways that he didn't intend. And I, he was talking about how he was kind of shocked to find people enforcing like militant straight edge ideas and trying to dictate what other people do. And in fact, I think when they went back and redid that song, he did a part where he was talking and saying like, I'm not telling anybody else what to do. Like, I'm just saying there's three things that I don't do. (laughs) Like I don't really find much importance in or whatever. But um, I think he was saying with Fugazi, he kind of learned a le- his lesson from how uh, people took things in Minor Threat. And he said that he would, um, he said that the way that people took the lyrics in Minor Threat was like a uniform. And mm-hmm. he didn't want to give people uniforms, that he would give people fabric that they could make their own clothes with. That's <laughs> a beautiful analogy. Like yeah, right? So anyway, like, so I met him through Beauty Pill, but I, I didn't really know him. Like, you know, I just thought, wow, this person is actually like exactly what he seems like from uh, reading his interviews or anything like, you know, stuff like that. But then um, I graduated from uh, from college and I got an internship, like a summer internship. And it was in D.C. and it was paying seven dollars an hour. And I was like, how am I going to afford rent in D.C.? Um, And it's just like a three month internship. Like I didn't really know what to do. And um, Ryan, who worked at Discord, talked to Ian for me he was like you know discord house is actually like nobody lives there it's being used as an office but nobody is living there right now maybe Ian would let you rent a room for like a few months and uh, he talked to Ian and he agreed and didn't even charge me any rent and just let me stay there during my internship and then my internship got extended for three months and he continued to let me live there and then it ended and I didn't get another job because I was wanting to uh, to go on tour with Beauty Pill. And I was like, I'm not going to find a job that's going to let me go on tour. So uh, I just kept living a Discord. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the problem, man. You let you let people like you in and it's hard to get you exactly, out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he was so gracious about it. He ended up finally being like, hey, could you just like pay utilities <laughs> like okay sure like that's that's awesome and he never I ended up living there for five years and he never charged me anything other than just to cover utilities it was amazing and helped wow. me financially a lot like it helped me save money for a down payment for a house um when I ended up eventually moving out but it was pretty awesome and then so so I was living there and kind of being a nuisance by <laughs> By just walking over to, because the house is right across the uh, the street from Discord Direct, so I would, I'd be bored because I wasn't doing anything. I just walk over to Discord Direct and hang out over there and kind of like get in the way of everybody working. <laughs> so uh, Ian was finally like, "You need to be doing something. How about you do some work for me?" And he uh, <laughs> he he gave me work uh, helping him with his archives and just odd jobs, and then. Uh, I ended up helping out with mail order. I think I was trying to remember what releases were out at that time. I think I think the Fugazi Live series was pretty new then, and there was the Discord twenty year box set, and um, I think Feral Hymns, like the Longfish album, was out around that time. But I just anytime there was kind of a release that needed more attention, like you know Ryan could use some help in mail order, I would help package up records. One of the cool things about Discord is. Um, Ian's a pretty big environmentalist and instead of buying 
cardboard inserts to put the LPs in when you mail them. We would go to the recycling center in Arlington and take cardboard out of the recycling bin <laughs> and then cut it up and put it in, uh, you know, in with the records to pad them. So part of my job was going and getting cardboard and taking an X-Acto knife and cutting it out and putting it in with the records <laughs> that we ship. That's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> it's like, it's, um, I, I think in other contexts, it would be a job that people would be like, Ugh, what a drag. But like here you're you're like doing it for a cool record label and doing it because it's better for the environment. So that's pretty nice. It was amazing. I ended up so when Ryan ended up uh, he and Aaron moved to Kalamazoo and when they did, I got to take over for as the mail order, main mail order person. So I ended up being the one who got to, you know, write notes to people when you sent off the letters and everything like that. So yeah. that was pretty fun. I was and just digging was actually... through my own archives the other day, and I found uh, something with a little note from uh, Amy, which which I assume is Amy Pickering from, you know, mid-90s at some point. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. It's fun because Discord fans in general are really thoughtful and just cool people. And so there's a couple people that I connected with that like have later found me on Facebook, probably because they had a note with my name on it so they could look me up, you know. And um, it's been pretty, pretty cool to get to see what those people are doing. And just there's some really, um, yeah, just really thoughtful Discord fans out there. And it was fun having that job because it gave me a chance to meet and connect with people that I would never have gotten to meet otherwise. Like one of the people I'm friends with on Facebook lives in, I think, Washington State. And um, it's just been really great getting to follow their lives um, from the time they were a high school kid to now like an adult who's a teacher and doing just really cool things with their life. So it's been fun. I I know that you have other stories about uh, Ian and Fugazi. Um, why don't Why don't we jump into talking about the song and maybe if something comes up in the course of talking about it, we can uh, derail on some tangents. Sure. Um, so the song we're talking about today is, of course, Latin Roots from Steady Diet of Nothing. Usually I um, I give a little intro if I can find any facts for sure that might be illuminating. I couldn't really find much uh, about this one except for um, our, our friend of the show, Junter Hobbits, is, uh, has this blog where he does reviews of a ton of um, live shows, uh, shows from the live series, and he uh, sometimes uh, puts some interesting quotes. And uh, this one, um, there is a show from Melbourne, Australia, November 14th, 1993, where Guy introduces this song as uh, saying, For a long time, I owned the bed I was conceived on, and this song is about fucking on your parents' bed. <laughs> and then they start the song. So <laughs> so other than that, I don't have uh, much to say other than my interpretations, but I do like to pass it off to my guest uh, for the first thing. So what do you think? Uh, do you want to start talking about the lyrics or the music or uh, anything in particular? I'll start talking about the lyrics, and I love that you said that. That's an amazing quote, <laughs> and it's a uh, it's especially funny because I think a lot of people do associate Fugazi with like being straight edge, and that was probably an amazing like fu to people just being like, "Guess what? This is a song about fucking." <laughs> it's it's funny because it's almost certainly Fugazi's sexiest song, but uh -huh. naturally being a song written by Guy, it's, he's going to make it a bit uncomfortable. It's not going to be just like straightforwardly about sex. It's like, there's a lot of discomfort in this. It's Yeah, it's super. I was talking to my partner about it actually. And he was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> he's talking about having sex on the bed that he was conceived on. <laughs> Like it's pretty amazing. And my but question it, is, first of all, how, how many people know that? Like, I have no idea what bed I was conceived on. Like, that's never a conversation right. that's come up for me. But so I don't know. And he might not have been conceived on the bed. You know, like right. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure his parents might have done it in other places also. But <laughs> um, it's also funny to me because it is not at all so. I, I found that also when I was looking up because I didn't want to sound like a dummy when I came on your show. So I was like, what does this song mean? And I was trying to actually wrap my head around it and look and see what other people had said about it. But when I first heard this song, 
I didn't read the liner notes and I, I pretty much just knew the chorus and uh, the, you know, it's time to meet your makers, which I know a lot of people hear that is it's time to meet Jamaican, but I never actually (laughs) heard it that way. Um, But I always thought when I was in like, I guess like late high school, early college, whatever, when I first heard it, I thought he was talking about being like second or third generation from somewhere like a Latin American country and kind of like, needing to reckon with it like it's you know hey it's time to to realize uh you know you you have this connection and it's something you should probably be thinking about but probably because because i'm half turkish and my grandparents are from turkey so i was probably thinking like oh like in my life it's something where it's like i don't always think about that but like i probably should be more aware of what my roots are and you know maybe it's time to meet my makers you know like that so that's what it meant to me at that time well, and then reading it's... the lyrics again, it's like, whoa, that's not at all what he's talking about. Yeah, I, I well, so it starts off right, lying on our. It seems like a a postcoital conversation is happening, right? Lying on our bed, uh, lying on our backs. This is your your parents' bed. Um, blah blah blah, staring at the ceiling, and then you start speaking, tracing your father's footsteps in your mother's shoes, going up and over and across your Latin roots. It seems like. Uh, this person he's in bed with uh, is just starting to tell him about uh, her, his origins. There's, uh, I, I just, I say her because uh, I, I believe uh, Guy is in a heterosexual life relationship, uh, but the gender of the other person is not really mentioned in the song. Um, That's true. I didn't think about that. I just assumed it was a woman too. Yeah, but but yeah, it's it seems like this is the conversation that they're having, and it's funny because it's such a common. American conversation because it's so many people in in this country have such widely diverse ethnic Mm -hmm. roots right like Mm -hmm. I feel like any any person almost that I can think of that I've had any long friendship with I'm sure this conversation has happened Mm -hmm. and it might be something that's like autobiographical also in terms of his heritage because isn't he like I think he's like half Italian and half French right well, yeah, I mean, his name, Guy is a French name and Pichotto is an Italian name. Um, I, I I, tried to look up if there's anything about him having like Latino roots. I don't think mm-hmm. so. But I was thinking about that, too, but I was like both like French and Italian are Latin languages. So right. like maybe there's that connection. Yeah. Uh, as far as romance languages and you know, Latin could be kind of a a pun about, you know. Italy, Rome, Latin, uh, but um, but also, I mean, in the song, <clears throat> it's it, it, at first it seems as if the other person has Latin roots. Yeah. Unless, of course, this is one of those songs where the you, it, like, he's writing it from another person's perspective about him. Yeah, it's hard to hard to say. I think it probably is about the other person, but um, I don't know when he was writing it. I, maybe he was thinking about his own background. Also, I'm not sure. I do think there's um, in in what you were saying the song backs that up. Like after that first chorus, um, the, the next verse or two is um, well, I don't know. It's it's a little mysterious. The point points back to its origin verse. Mm-hmm. Um, I I sometimes think like he's invoking sort of a prehistoric time before um national borders were established and there was like that's just sort of the sense i get i i i don't think there was ever a time in human history where there wasn't tribalism but it's it almost paints a picture to me of this idea that like there was a time when that was true and people intermingled and there wasn't this concern over um people's backgrounds they just sort of uh yeah, the air breathes freely and our tongues work loosely, um, which... I I was thinking, so, like, it says, like, point points back to its origin and across the world, the cogs are clogged with sand or something like that. I was thinking, like, that's maybe saying, talking about immigration and, like, uh, just the political realities of making it hard to actually immigrate. So, like, I was thinking maybe that's what he's talking about with being clogged with sand. And then I was thinking but they're there together and, you know, things are free with them. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's another great idea. I, I can totally see that also. I was also interested in like, 
what does it mean? You're using your hands and smearing your R's. I was like, is that saying like, instead of like rolling your R's, like, you know, she's like a second generation person. So she doesn't, you know, roll her R's, she's smearing her R's or like, what is, what did that mean? Did you have any ideas on that? I actually looked up the phonetic terminology where in Spanish, R's are mostly taps and trills. In American English, they are retroflex approximants. Hey. 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 <laughs> Fancy words there. Um, but yeah, I was thinking exactly the same thing, like to, to learn English and adapt your accent to America is, yeah, you can, it, you could definitely see that as smearing the, the taps and the trills of, of the Spanish R. Yeah. And then like the part about... So I was thinking with it's like tracing your father's footsteps in your mother's shoes. Is that like she's putting herself in her mother's shoes and like talking about her father's experience from from that perspective? Or I, I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, that's uh, the the way I see it is that the, the the first chorus does mean that. And then he uses exactly the same words in the second chorus to mean something different because the second time. It goes, um, I'm looking over my shoulder, strained resistance to scour the door for your father's footsteps or your mother's shoes, like checking to see if your parents are coming home and are going to catch us in their bed. <laughs> right? That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that's really uh, Guy really loves to play around with that sort of thing in songs and use the same kind of words sometimes uh, in as many ways as he can think of. I think this might be an example of that. It's pretty clever. Yeah. And then it's time to meet your makers. Like, that's pretty funny. Yeah, definitely. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, talking about meeting someone's parents in those terms. Like, well, it's time to meet your makers <laughs> because they came home and caught us doing something we shouldn't be. It's really funny. Yeah, this song, uh, I'm really glad that I got a chance to do this song because I wouldn't have gone back and read those lyrics. And it's, uh, it's a, funnier and more interesting song to me now and it was actually one of my favorites before so this has been fun yeah and uh, i mean speaking of double meanings um there are a lot of things like you know our tongues work loosely that could be something about language it could be talking about like making out um right uh, you're using your hands again that could be like a sexual intimacy thing it could be like based on its proximity to the smearing your r's line it could mean like the manual labor that a lot of um immigrants do from you know central america south america mexico etc so Mm -hmm. like there's there's so many possibilities based on the the sort of two things that this song appears to be about i always think it could be like talking with your hands too yeah yeah and then, like, border approaches border. That could be, like, bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See? Man, there's so many things. <laughs> it's it's like a, a song rich with possibilities. Yeah. It's really... It's a good song. I don't know if I had any more... I, I do just, like, the, the very first stanza. This is your parents' bed. A good place to be laid because it's so neatly made. Like, that's that's so funny to me because it like makes you think of being a teenager and your room would always be so sloppy and like you'd never make your bed. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this is a bit of a contrast to that. It also is just like dirty. Like it's like, man, he's singing about effing on your parents' bed, and then yeah. he's like, this bed's so neatly made. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, like man, man, this is what a great stinky. experience this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh the bed has been neatly made. But yeah, I, I think that's all the notes I had on the lyrics. Yeah, how about the the music if if there's anything you have to say about that? So um this is one of the songs that would get stuck in my head a lot, you know, when um when I was listening to this album a lot, it would it would be one of the ones that was always in my head. And uh I went back and listened to it again to do this podcast and there was a lot of stuff that hit me that hadn't hit me before. One of the things was we're both bass players. So like I tend to focus on hearing the bass, but um, I want to say it's the, maybe the pre-chorus where it's like saying like your father's footsteps and your mother's shoes. Mm -hmm. Is Joe doing like, is he hitting chords there? Like it sounds kind of ugly sounding, but like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I wrote down verbatim, I said, on chorus, sounds like Joe is playing some kind of dissonant chord. 
Um, yeah, I totally agree. That's what it sounds like to me. And it's because it's a bass, it's almost impossible to tell what exactly the notes are. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of ugly sounding, but it was kind of, it was kind of cool. I, I hadn't noticed that, uh, you know, before when I was listening to it. Yeah, it is kind of ugly sounding. And one thing I definitely noticed with this song, um, one reason I uh, have always liked Fugazi is they, they give you, they can teach you a lot about writing songs, structuring songs uh, mm-hmm. in an effective way. So there's like the whole typical quiet, loud dynamic. There's some there's stuff they do where, you know, they strip certain instruments out and then put them back in at an effective moment. And I think the real technique being used on this song is like going from dissonance to harmony because, yeah, yeah like all, all the way through the verses, all the way up to, through the part we were just talking about, there's so much dissonance and the rhythm is so jerky. And on on the line Latin Roots, when he, when he sings that, all of a sudden the music is very, harm, like there's a lot of harmony and it's very smooth, right? It sounds triumphant to me. That's the yeah, part that came yeah, to my yeah. mind. And Joe is all of a sudden laying down a very sort of smooth bass line. Uh, yeah. It's upon which you can coast like a comfortable pillow yeah 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 totally it's kind of like driving it's like do 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 oh and the other thing i like about that is that so when i i kind of like hum bass lines in my head and it's almost like when i play bass it would when i write a bass line i probably write what i would sing um that's just the way that i think of music and the way i do things but like when i'm singing along to it when i'm singing the bass line along to it I would go when it says like Latin roots the second time I would go down in my head and Joe goes up to a higher note, like I guess like an octave higher than I would have thought to go. And it's so perfect. Like I'm like, Oh yes, this is why he's Joe. Cause he's, <laughs> he's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I love, um, when I listen to a song that I admire, I, I try to imagine like, what if somebody brought this song to me without the baseline? Would I have done the same thing? Like, what would I have done? And yeah, often right. I'm like, okay, yeah, I would, I would never have thought of this. And that's why, that's why this song uh, is so great. Yeah. And then there's some cool little harmonic parts that I think it's Gee's probably doing, but um, yeah, there's some neat little bits in this song. Yeah, there are like between verses, um, like between stanzas of the verse, they'll do this really interesting rhythmic breakdown thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still, I, like I was counting it, it's still 4-4 four, four time, but they're just like chopping up the bar in a really kind of weird way and doing this coordinated rhythmic um, funkiness. Yeah. Oh, you know, the other thing that popped into my head um, when you were talking about kind of the dissonance going into the harmony and how that contrast is so nice Um that reminds me of like we can work it out, you know, the Beatles, where it's it's like very sour. Like John Lennon's part is really sour, and then like Paul McCartney's part is so sweet, and that's part of what makes that song so great to me is that that contrast. See, there you go. The Beatles have come up in the podcast again. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's you know what? I that's one of the outstanding um, things in the Beatles catalog for me. I think the only one. Uh, the only Beatles cover that I've ever really liked more than the original is Stevie Wonder doing that song. Yes, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I, I. It's almost the original. Almost doesn't quite work for me. Like in that, it's like so <laughs> weird and jerky, and John's thing grinds everything to a halt. Stevie sort of figures out a way to make it work a little better. I think. I love both versions, but uh, but. I think if I were on a desert island and I could only have one, it would be the Stevie Wonder version. It's damn good. It's better for dancing. That's that yes. much is certain. Um. Uh, yeah. I fear I've I've definitely taken us on a tangent there, but <laughs> I think I think I took us off. <laughs> <laughs> I guess one other thing that we could say as far as dissonance goes is. To me, Guy's voice here is very Bob Dylan. Um, the The last word of every line that he sings sort of goes out of pitch in a, in the sort of way that Bob Dylan would, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. This is your parents' bed, like, or you know, there's just that little waver drop in pitch or something. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I guess that sort of adds to that whole impression. Yeah, totally. People have 
commented on this a lot over the years, but the production value of Steady Diet of Nothing on the whole is so dry and sparse and without reverb. Um, there's not a lot of comfort to be found in the, the actual sonic uh, quality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that adds to the the dissonant feel of the dissonant parts also. I think the drums maybe suffer the most from that, at least on this track. Like, uh, Brendan's cymbals especially sounds like pretty tinny. It's like not a great sound to me. Um, so I often think of this more as like a live song to really get the um, the platonic ideal of, of what it is as a song. Um, yeah, that I wish the drums sounded better on this for sure. So I have to confess that I am not somebody who's that tuned into um, like production and sound in that way, which is kind of embarrassing because you know, my, my bandmate, Chad, that's yeah, all that's, about what that's he his does. Entire thing. <laughs> and in fact, didn't he remaster that record? Uh, yeah, he told me he remastered actually all of the Fugazi catalog, um, but he point, he singled out Steady Diet of Nothing as the one he's sort of, he thinks there's a, the best contrast on Okay. Um, from before his, his work to after it. One of the things about working for Discord and kind of just happening my way in there that's kind of embarrassing is that I am so not uh, I, I'm not somebody who geeks out over stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't even know that he had remastered the stuff. So all the like tapes and CDs that I had were, I think all the older ones. And uh, I don't know if I've actually even heard Chad's remastered version <laughs> myself. Hmm. He should, um, I feel like he should put that up online somewhere. Like, I feel like there was, uh, what am I thinking of? Oh, maybe, maybe it was like a recent REM, um, remaster. They put up this website where you could like listen to a song and sort of drag a slider over to the right and it would be the same place in the song, but lets you hear the remastered one. Like, I want, I want to hear that. I want to hear Chad doing that with, uh, with the Fugazi records and see. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> see I see if we can find somebody who can code that up. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Let's see. Uh what else about the music? I mean, I guess it's one of those good examples of a Fugazi song where you can really hear the difference in what the members are playing. Um starts with Guy's guitar coming in in the right channel of the ear and then uh then Brendan comes mm-hmm. in sort of like in the center, then Ian's guitar comes in uh left with uh Joe mirroring what he's playing sort of in the center of the mix but yeah you can you can discern the two guitars that way which is nice Mm -hmm. for people who are trying to like learn the parts definitely this isn't related to the uh music at all but just like a personal experience so um you know how i was saying like when i first heard the song like i related to it in a way that was just putting my own meaning into it basically and making it kind of thinking about my own background and roots or whatever right um So I had this kind of incredible experience, um, which was actually pretty beautiful of getting to be with my grandma when she passed away. My grandma, who's from Turkey, um, like I was at the hospital with her and I was able to call my relatives and let them know that like it looked like she was going to pass like very soon. So everybody should get down there. And um, we all got to be with her and um, like lay our hands on her while she passed. And it was, it was just like a, you know, just tingly kind of experience where um, I was so happy that I got to be there with her for that moment. You know, obviously I'm not happy that she died, but everybody is going to die. And if that's going to happen, then it was pretty, um, you know, just an incredible experience to share that with her and be there for that point of her uh her passing so uh, she she died and then um I had this picture of her dressed up in her uh like traditional Turkish uh dress where she was I think she was probably like 15 or 16 in this picture and she just looked um you know just looked beautiful and amazing and I wanted to make a copy of the picture for everybody in the family to get to have that because a lot of the family members hadn't seen that picture before And, um, so like right after she passed, I went from the hospital to, um, like, I can't remember what store it was like target or something like that to make copies of this photo. And oddly I ran into Guy, who is like, 
I've never run into him before in my life, like other than I've met him a couple of times at the Discord office, but I like I was like, hey, and he, you know, he like recognized me and said hi. And I it was like very surreal. I was like, I just came from the hospital and my grandma passed away and I showed him the picture and he was like, Wow, your grandmother was beautiful. And he's like, You just he's like, You mean you just came from the hospital? I was like, Yes, <laughs> like I'm coming here to to make photos of her and she just passed away. And he's like, That's incredible. But it was just kind of an odd, uh, weird coincidence and so I, I kind of connect that emotionally when I think about the song too that's so crazy wow yeah yeah isn't that weird that's that's such an amazing moment I yeah I I envy you that I I had six grandparents because you know two of them were step grandparents uh and I I wasn't able to have that with with any of them but I can only yeah. imagine how like something like this happens especially if it's your grandmother from Turkey I'm sure you feel this sort of powerful sense of the story of your family and a chapter of it ending, but like as it makes you consider like as far back in time as you can imagine, like tracing your family back and into the mists of time that, that just like never got recorded. Yeah. You just, I think at those moments in life, you feel some kind of, weird chain of life running through you and it yeah. just makes you think of like all those possibilities of of history and family yeah totally so yeah, yeah when I was like reflecting on this song that was just one of the things that that um you know a memory that it brought back was your grandmother the the um the first generation immigrant of the family she, she was yeah she and her husband came over in like the 1940s and she was I think she was really young um and he was i think he was like twice he had an arranged marriage and i think she was like 16 when they got married and he was 32 and then um you know i think i think she had had some kids she had five children so i think she had i think she had actually all all of uh my dad's siblings except for him he was born in america and was kind of like an anchor baby and how they got to <laughs> to stay right. <laughs> Um, but she never really, she learned English, but she always spoke with a really heavy accent and, uh, yeah, she, she was a very, uh, charismatic and funny person. She actually, she met my bandmate, Ryan, <laughs> she, she told him, she tried to kiss him on the mouth. <laughs> she told him that she knew she was too old for him, but she was going to die. And when she did, she'd come back in another life and then she'd have him. <laughs> <laughs> That is quite a compliment. I bet Ryan remembers <laughs> that to this day. He does. I actually asked him about it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, how could I forget that?" <laughs> that's that's so beautiful. Yeah, the only thing like that in my family is uh, my grandfather was born in England and came over here very young. But um, yeah, you would never know it. Like he didn't speak with an accent, but he did use the word "bloody." Hey. <laughs> That was his like one funny little thing that you're like, is this guy from England? Right. I think the only other uh, main thing I was going to say is that I I just I like the simple, the very simple guitar melody at the end during <gasps> It's Time Me to Meet too. Your Makers. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's like just five <laughs> notes. It's very simple, but it's it's memorable. It is. It's a it's a hook. I would say if anybody. Um, really gets this song in their head and and remembers it it's probably the it's time to meet your makers part and yes that is maybe that's why i mean it's it's got this sort of catchy uh lyric and a little catchy melody to it so there you go yeah um i i don't know if i had anything else to say about the music though did you Nope, I think that about covers anything I wanted to say. Cool. Well, something I like to do in every show is uh, go to uh, our uh, Facebook page, The Alphabetical Fugazi on Facebook, where I invite listeners to um, chime in with a couple of comments, opinions, anything like that. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go back again to Junter Hobbits, who also says he points out that this song's live debut was October 1st, 1990, at a show in Sweden. And the band in that recording is not really sure how to end the song. It's just three verses. And at the end, instead of It's Time to Meet Your Makers, Ian appears to be singing You Greedy Motherfucker. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess. Uh, well, I th why do you think he would be singing that? <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm sure it's 
it's for the the meter of the song it just seems to fit that um yeah i i I would have to say they they made the right choice in changing it (laughs) (laughs) it was yeah because it doesn't seem like it fits the rest of the song at all do you think it was just like a placeholder Uh, maybe i mean it's 1990 it was the repeater era maybe he's uh still in that in that mindset picking some ideas from uh songs on that album and just sort of slotting them in where they fit rhythmically i wonder if also there might have been something that happened at the show that he was responding to and he changed the lyrics to that yeah like for that show (laughs) he had greedy motherfuckers on the mind (laughs) um pete fraser says i really think it's one of their truly great songs it's so distinctive those huge thumping bass chords in the pre-chorus have a lot to do with that i think the combination of that and gee's typical atonal vocal delivery has a lot to do with it as well as that big key change anthem at the end glorious song it really turned my head as a teenager uh our friend joe gross who wrote the 33 and a third book on um Killtaker, said uh, good song excellent argument for not fucking at your girlfriend's parents place <laughs> auntie varala says it's another awesome tune full of little surprises on an album full of little well epic musical surprises i remember smiling silly on the first listen stacks with its catchy angularity and then on to latin roots those big bass chords and the release in the chorus um yeah uh, totally that's that's really what makes the song for me i would say yeah will rockwell scott says every time the song comes on i skip back to the beginning again and again trying to figure out what beat the guitar intro starts on yeah that's a good point it's one of those like little guitar riffs where it's like wait did did he start that on the one? It's like you you don't know when he starts it and when the drums come in. It sort of rejiggers your concept of what exactly the 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 one is in the song. I like songs that's that cool. do that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, Seldom Careful says, I don't think it ever occurred to me until quite recently that songs like Latin Roots, Last Chance for a Slow Dance, and Forensic Scene might be autobiographical relationship songs, but it's certainly not impossible. I gather that Sweet and Low is also a breakup song of sorts. Um, and yeah, that's that's just a sampling of what our friends uh, say in the uh, listener community. Uh, but given all that and what we've said about the song, um, I would like to talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Where, uh, Boshel, you said you'd heard the, the show before, so you probably know that on every show I ask my guest, if you possibly could, to rate this song on a scale of one to five stars, but just purely subjectively in the context of the Fugazi catalog and based on how you're feeling today, um, do you think you could give a rating to Latin Roots? So I, I, I really hate rating things. Um, it wouldn't I wouldn't naturally be somebody who who uh, like rates music, I think. But I I love this song. It's uh, well, I love I know that's why you do on a scale of, uh, you know, compared to other Fugazi songs, because right. whatever. But um, this is a song that I really, really love of theirs. I love this whole album. And it's I think it is one of the first ones that I listened to, like, uh I got my hands on reclamation. Amazing song. There's just so many gems on it to me, but um, this is one of the gems and I, I don't want to give it an exact rating, but it would be, it's one of the ones that I do um, go back to and, and listen to and uh, get stuck in my head. And probably one of the, the, uh, one of my favorites, I would say <laughs> so, a, a high rating. Okay, you you are totally allowed to refuse uh, a specific number. <laughs> that's that's a that's a valid answer to my question, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I must, I am gonna try to give a number to everyone myself, but um, I think I rate this highly too. It's it's one of the stronger ones on Steady Diet. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident in saying uh, I will I'll give it a four because um, yeah, it's it's a great study in in the sort of dissonance versus harmony thing. Um, the lyrics are so playful and mysterious um, while being not as completely like baffling as some of Guy's lyrics can be. Um, it's at least you can get a foothold um, about what it's about. And that's very interesting to me. So yeah, high marks from both me and Boshla. 
And um, I guess the only other thing left is for me to ask you if you have any plugs. Um, anything coming up with any of your musical projects or where listeners can find you online, whatever. Uh, so Beauty Pill has a website and an Instagram and Twitter so people can find us there. And I'm also in a band called Yes Vacancy that has an Instagram. Uh, I'm sorry, we might have an Instagram, but we are on Bandcamp. Um, and you can check out some of our songs there. So uh, if anybody's interested, it's called Yes Vacancy. Awesome. Well, thanks very much. I Before we end the show, I you mentioned to me that you had a story about the evens. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell that story. Like, do you have, <laughs> do you have time to, to say uh, what went down with that? Oh, sure. So I was just, uh, I was pretty nervous about being on the show. And uh, I, I really hate giving interviews or like, it makes me super nervous. So I was like, Ooh, what am I going to talk about? And then I was just trying to reflect on anything that would be interesting and um, I was like, man, I have I have a horrible memory. Like I was saying, I couldn't I don't remember when I first heard Fugazi or like what my first <laughs> album was that I even got. So uh, I was like, how am I going to remember enough to talk about things? And one of the one of the things that I remembered through talking with Ryan was that. So when I lived at Discord House and Ryan worked at Discord, the Evens had been writing music and were getting ready to play out. And before they played any shows they invited us to come sit in the basement at discord house where they practice um and listen to a concert (laughs) like just me and ryan got to listen to them playing their songs and it was an incredible experience getting to sit and listen to you know two of my favorite musicians play their brand new band's songs before other people got a chance to do it and i i think they did that with other friends of theirs too but it was such a honor to be in the you know like group of people that got to to share their music with them and i had forgotten it until ryan reminded me (laughs) remember when we got to see that private evens concert i was like oh my god i have the worst memory like yes why is that not something that i think about often you know (laughs) that sounds like such an intense experience because like from being at uh fugazi or evens shows i i mean i remember something that Ian would always do is like he would make eye contact with you he would like look at everybody in the crowd for at least like a second and like I can only imagine being one of two people in the audience he must like you must have been like under Ian's glare the like whole time which is like (laughs) can be very intimidating sometimes (laughs) Uh, I think I don't remember getting glared at but yeah yeah uh, well you know what I mean (laughs) yeah yeah just, just being no, looked at was... by Ian Mackay for an extended period of time, it's it's like, wow, yeah. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And like after <laughs> he said that, I was like, I I it's embarrassing to it's embarrassing to me. I was telling him, uh, you know, like because I think you actually asked me to be on the show a while ago. I know you've been having a hard time finding female guests to be on, which it, I think that is hard. I I was thinking about that too, and I think. Um, I think Fugazi's music probably skews to a male listenership anyway, but then um, kind of the way that I relate to music isn't necessarily the way that like the men in my band, for example, relate to music. And I think kind of uh, the geekery is a little bit more <laughs> of a male thing. Not yeah, always. I think so like, too. Obviously there's like some pretty geeky women too. But, I, I uh, think another thing is probably that like, I think um, men are more likely to have the attitude of like, oh, I'll be on this podcast. People people want to hear what I have to think. Whereas maybe more women are like you, like, I'm kind of nervous to do this. Like, uh, But that, <laughs> men have a lot more stupid uh, confidence about things sometimes. <laughs> I was very, very nervous. Um, and that's, that's like one of the things that made me extra nervous. Like Ryan, because I was asking him, I was like, can you remind me, like, what should I be talking about? And he just like happened to mention that. And I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I have the worst memory. But this was, um, it was actually really fun. So I appreciate you asking me to be on it. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Bashla. And say hi, uh, to Ryan, Aaron, Chad, like you, you know, so many people who have been on this show. So, um, yeah, give my warmest regards, uh, please. And, uh, yeah, thank you for being on. 
And um, I, as usual, don't have many plugs other than, hey, if you're listening to this podcast, recommend it to a friend who likes Fugazi. Uh, maybe give it a rating on Apple Podcasts, and that could help visibility. I don't know. You can always reach me at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com. And you can join that Facebook group that I was talking about. It's just called The Alphabetical Fugazi. And I'll be asking you in the future about uh, uh, song episodes that I'll be recording coming up. I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing life and limb. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last